This is the Outback Way podcast, proudly sponsored by our HEMA Guidebook and Atlas. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. I am Helen Lewis. Buckle up as we take you on Australia's longest shortcut, a journey through the heart of Australia. Good morning. Well, welcome to the Outback Way podcast. Today's episode is actually a panel discussion we had at our AGM. It includes uh, Tanis Godfrey from Tobermory Station, who talks about station life and the importance of the Outback Way for the operation of the station. We then also have Karen Santucci, who is from Oz Minerals, and she's the logistics manager for Oz Minerals in Western Australia on the Great Central Road. Mike Batchelor is the business development officer nationally for Cube Logistics. And David Elliott, who is the chairman of the Australian Age of Dinosaurs, and they're based at Winton, which is unearthing literally lots and lots of fossils of dinosaurs throughout Western Queensland and, and particularly in this site of the Age of Dinosaurs at Winton. And Ben Hewitt, who is the Chief Operations Officer for Hewitt Cattle Company. They all talk about the Outback Way and the value it will provide to either their businesses or enterprises or the tourism expansion and also some of the issues that currently they're facing due to the gravel. It's a very interesting discussion for both the pastoral industry, the mining industry, logistics, tourism, and cattle industry. And so I really uh, encourage you to have a listen, and they all cover some very different points. So thanks for joining us, and enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, Tanis, I'd like to uh, welcome you first up to uh, to have a conversation about you know your place, um, uh, Tobermory Station, and and the impact the road has for your business. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Helen. Uh, good day, everybody. Uh, my name's Tanis Godfrey, and um, yeah, we manage Tobermory Station. Uh, myself and my husband Huey. Uh, obviously, most of you. Will probably be aware we're a working cattle station, but we also provide accommodation, roadhouse, camping facilities, um, and so we service basically the travelling public, corporate, um, and commercial clients in the caravan park, as well as all the requirements of a cattle station um, of our size, which is one point five million acres. Um, just some background information, I guess, to, to let you sort of know where we are and probably some of the challenges that we have, but also where the Outback Way comes in and, and what's been happening, especially on the Donoghue and also on the Plenty, um, because we sit sort of at a pivotal point. Our station homestead and the tourist complex, uh, we're located in the Northern Territory, but we're at a key junction point where four kilometres and 40 kilometres respectively from two entry points, so two border crossings. Uh, one is obviously the Donoghue Highway and the other one is just north of us where the Urundangi Road crosses into uh, Queensland. So we're quite pivotal um, on that front and I think as most of you would know, we had a border checkpoint with us last year uh, just for that reason. Um, our two closest regional centres sit in Queensland. It's Mount Isa Access via uh, Urundangi and also um, Bulga, with most of our logistics coming through Mount Isa and most as well as health, telephone, postal, uh, and Bulga is uh, education, community and health support. 
our nearest, um, and they're both, Mount Isa's about 270, uh, Bullier's 240. Our nearest Northern Territory Regional Centre is Zala Springs at about 565 uh, kilometres. We do have policing assistance, uh, which is primarily from Bullier, uh, but Hearts Range also give us a hand and uh, both of those are respectively three hours away. Uh, so just a bit of a, a situation there. So where most of you are aware, we were affected in 2019 by the floods that swept across most of North Queensland, Northern Territory and the WA. And all of our infrastructure here at the station uh, was pretty much either destroyed or severely damaged. Uh, and when putting together where they were going forward, the owners of the station looked at their destination management plan and the strategic focus and the state of the plenty and the Donoghue highways were a key factor in that. Um, sealing of the outback way will significantly reduce commute time from Bullier through to Alice Springs. That's the, the main area that will affect us, not just for the travelling public, but it will also make this a significant commercial route, which um, I know Karen and um, Mike and Ben will probably talk to in further detail later on. But that and how it affects us as being pretty much right in the middle of that is significant of what we looked at and where we've done over the last year with our development. Um, it's also going to change the demographic going forward of where we sit. So at the moment, our demographic is your grey nomad or your outback adventurer, uh, your four-wheel drive and, and off to look at Central Australia where as that progressive seal comes in and we had a big glimpse of that this year, it will change not just to that, but people who take off in their family sedans wanting to have holidays. We're looking at work commuters um, and commercial purposes. So both heavy logistics as well as regular logistics. Um, so as a result of that, in 20 and 21, we've utilised a lot of... Um, our own capital as well as the Roadhouse to Recovery and Visitor Experience grants that the Northern Territory Government have had on offer. And our upgrades to the station, um, Roadhouse and Caravan Park have been fairly significant if you haven't been out to us in a while. Um, we've always had, we've made extensions to our grass um, caravan park with new ablution blocks. We can service up to 30 vans, give or take more and campers in um, that area. We've now got 14 ensuite air-conditioned motel rooms and cabins that can accommodate up to 25 people. We've installed a children's playground and we've opened this year our Mead House Bar, which is a large outdoor area which includes a licensed bar as well as um, a unique barbecue area where we've got repurposed mint mills, an Austin truck that's a fire pit and a barbecue, and the bar itself is our old meat house. Um, and this particular feature is one of our most fam uh, most popular on social media with some of our photos reaching over 480,000 people. So um, it's getting a lot of positive feedback. This year, um, in terms of our tourist trade, this resheeting of the Donoghue Highway has been the most significant impact. Um, as you know, in 2021, Bullyshire Council had made the most of COVID and a few less travelled and had fantastic 
works completed on that road. And again, this year we've just recently had, um, as you've been told, another um, around 10 case sealed. The commute for a four-wheel drive from Bullia to Tobermory at the end of 2019 was about four to five hours. Now that can be done in about two and a half to three. Um, for our business as a cattle station, it's provided a significant and cost and time saving. Uh, this year we trucked, we're just coming to the end of our um, mustering season when we would have trucked about 10,000 head of cattle on that Donahue Highway without any maintenance issues whatsoever for the first season. Um, the condition of the road has had a direct impact on our animal welfare, reducing time, uh, transit time. Uh, not to mention the fatigue management and the welfare of our drivers, not just in the driving, but also dealing with maintenance issues and downtime on that front. Um, and again, I'm sure, uh, especially Ben will talk to that later on. Looking, I've just sort of broken it down in positive and negatives when it comes to some of our more general travelling public. And we're probably right in the middle of one of our negatives at the moment for the second time isn't in as many weeks. But I'll start with the positives. So... Um, we're getting a lot more visitors coming through from Bullia. So word of the road being sealed and a lot of that great public feedback, the reach that's come out, uh, we're getting lots of tourists in all manner of vehicles um, arriving here with huge compliments to both um, the Bullia Council, Outback Way, very positive to continue their journey um, off to Alice Springs in most, um, in most circumstances. The reduced travel time has changed um, how Tobermore is utilised, especially from tourists travelling east to west uh, for us, uh, where they would generally spend most of their day travelling and could turn out uh, worn out. They're either focusing on this as a destination stay or they're arriving, spending, refuelling, refreshing, and then continuing on and staying at places that they might have bypassed before, such as Javois or Gemtree. So it's opened up for them to stop in and um, spend uh, money and time at more locations along the Plenty Highway, uh, which we see as very positive. Logistics providers, we've seen an increase in logistic providers wanting to come down and service our area. So we're looking, we're talking things like um, food providers and that sort of thing. And the progressive ceiling is making them rethink their strategic focus. Can they service more of the stations and more of the businesses in this area where they've previously written off because it's all dirt road and they can't cover that within their fatigue management? Um, and obviously, safety and travel for staff and visitors. So this year we have had zero call outs to any vehicle accidents or medical emergencies on the Donahue Highway for the first time um, in a very long time. So uh, they're quite, pos quite good feedback. I guess on the negative sense is that education is still a key aspect. And so where we've got one of the best sections of our back way now from Bullia to us, the section from us to Javois, that 200k is potentially one of the worst along the highway. And as I speak to you right now, that road is not passable for triples or road trains. Uh, we have been averaging two to three vehicles a week that are unable to move further. They're having two and three flat tyres, damaged rims. Um, they're unable to afford recovery 
from Mount Isa, Alice Springs or Bulia, leaving them firmly in the hands of us to deal with and find a way to get them out of there at the station expense. That is coming at a cost to us at between like $1,500 and $3,000 for the station that we have to absorb per event. Um, I would say the, the even darker side of that, which is what we've got at the minute, and this is the second police issue in as many weeks, is we're getting a lot of people that would not, thinking that this is the same customer road, travelling on roads in vehicles that aren't there, and when they turn up and get stranded, we're finding that they're either wanted by, they don't have the means to pay, or they're creating a police issue where we're having to contact Hearts Range, Mount Isa, who then don't know how to get to us where these people... Should there be mobile range? Should they be not on this road or they're able to drive along the road wouldn't be our problem, but instead it turns into the station's issue and it's just unrelenting, um, significantly more this year and significantly being caused by that section of the Plenty Highway um, between us and Javois. I think also the improvement of that Donahue High highlights the shortcomings um, and education of the travelling public is key in the short to medium term until the ceiling takes place. Um, the cost to people, it, it's, yeah, it's in a whole new realm. I guess to finish up, some of the key improvements as a station we're sort of looking to see in the short term is improved signage. And this is definitely coming into the, new, the wet season now for us um, where we generally get more people travelling, hotter weather and wet roads, is improved signage at sealed entry points to the Plenty Highway. Because if people are on a sealed road and they're using Google or Apple Maps, they think the whole road is sealed. Highlighting that, and I'm, I'm soaking points such as at Bullia, at the Fitzroy Developmental Road, um, saying that the road is gravel with no mobile phone coverage for the next so many kilometres, trying to educate people that not only is it a road that they can't handle, but there's no coverage to call anyone if they're stuck. Um, we'd also like signage at all the tourism points along the Plenty Highway. So I'm talking about Gemtree, Hearts Range, Javois, Bonya, us and at Bullia, where we as operators can update signage and advise them where weather or road conditions make the road unsuitable for further travel. That way we would hold them up where we are at a place where we can support them or put them in contact with someone rather than them let them travel another 100 kilometres and get stuck either without us knowing or where we cannot recover them um, is the other issue. Another short to medium term issue is mobile phone coverage. Um, I myself had spent the better part of last year trying to get a satellite small cell for the purpose of providing coverage to tourism and there is still a thought where Telstra thinks that cattle stations are wanting this so we've got mobile phone coverage where we already have phone coverage in the internet. This is a service for tourists. It enables them to seek help. It enables them to do their banking and pay for goods and services or transfer money, uh, get in contact if it's an emergency, sort their own insurance out, and the list goes on. Um, but at the moment, there is no coverage here. Even if they do know how to get themselves out of trouble, they can't call anybody or it's the cost of the station to deal with. I've had really negative feedback um, very great support on the ground, but very negative feedback at the higher ends of Telstra. They don't determine that. The feedback to me was 
Um, the Stuart Highway is where uh, all the caravan people go and the Plenty Highway, Donoghue High, is in a huge route uh, for tourists, um, which the 600-plus people stopping in here for fuel in June and July alone, I think, would dispute that. Um, we have had our... We have on average, on our busy months, that many people stopping through, and that's just fuel, not just the visitors who pop in. So looking at mobile phone coverage, both on whether it's a small cell, whether it's leveraging off towers that are already in the area and putting more infrastructure on, or new funding in a black spot program at every, if it hasn't able to cover the whole lot, but looking at Tobermory, Javois, Bonyat, so that there's little jumps making it easier for people to get in contact if they're stuck. Um, and I think, look, I'll, I'll pull it up there because I think most of the other points will tap in and um, leverage off what the next speakers are going to say because it's to do with growth and commercial. I think we all know that once that's sealed that this will become the destination and the main logistics routes for Central Australia. Um, for us, obviously, expansion, roadhouse expansion, bigger capacity, heavy vehicle um, support is where we see that going uh, further down. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Tanis. That's, that's excellent. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Excellent. Um, Karen, so Karen, uh, would you like to um, say some your, your industry story for Oz Minerals, uh, which is based over in Western Australia off the Great Central Road um, as a lead logistics advisor. Thanks. Thank you. I um, just wanted to open up by saying thank you for inviting me to be part of the panel. Um, so I'll give a little bit of background on the company first. So Oz Minerals is a global um, copper um, business with the ASX 100 um, company and it's got assets um, and growth opportunities across Australia currently. We've got two operating mines in South Australia. One is Carapatina and uh, the other is Prominent Hill where we produce copper and gold. Um, and obviously we've got the West Musgrave project, which is the one that Helen just mentioned. Um, and we're looking at, at um, opening that up, hopefully an investment decision in 2022. Um, the, we also have uh, an operating mine in Brazil um, and, a, and a mine under construction over there. Um, our, our company focuses on a stakeholder value and creating, creating value for those stakeholders. So we will value our project um, based on, on um, providing benefits to those stakeholders. So the five stakeholder pillars we concentrate on are community, government, employees, suppliers and shareholders. Um, so basically anything we do is centred around that and providing benefit for those five pillars. Um, the West Musgrave project um, is just over the border in WA. Uh, it's close to the South Australian and Northern Territory borders, um, but it obviously makes sense for our logistics route to go uh, follow the Great Central Road uh, back through and, and export that product or sell it to some domestic customers. Um, so it's the first development opportunity within the broader West Musgrave province. Um, so that we've also got the uh, potential Succoth copper deposit over there as well. Um, we've completed the pre-feasibility study in 2020 and did an update to that in December 2020. Um, and as I mentioned, the investment decision is targeted for 2022, uh, following on from our final value study phase, which we're in at the moment. Um, the project has been um, 
basically viable based on a number of factors. So it's an open pit mine um, looking to produce copper and nickel concentrates, so a little bit different from just the copper and gold, um, producing 12 million tonnes uh, per annum, per annum, sorry, with a 26-year mine life, um, an av- average production of 32,000 tonnes of copper and 26,000 tonnes of nickel that will be in concentrate form. Um, there's no there's no infrastructure out at the mine site at the moment, so we would have to be self-sufficient. So we're looking at um, having an innovative off-the-grid uh, renewable power and processing solution. So there's a focus there with um, having wind farms and solar uh, to aim to be 100% renewable and have a roadmap to reach that target. Um, as I mentioned, the copper and nickel will be transported along the Great Central Road by road train. Um, and so that's about 850 kilometres we're looking to, to move that product, which is a, a fair stretch. Um, we'll be moving that product in sealed containers uh, down to Leonora and then they'll be put on a train and um, sent to Esperance for shipping. Um, the, the remoteness of this site has basically stopped it from being um, progressed further by others in the past um, and the, the Great Central Road provides that main access to us to the site. So some of the, the benefits that we would find from sealing the Great Central Road for our, for our organisation, first and foremost is the safety element. Um, if it's sealed, there's, uh, you know, reduced dust, um, there's less interactions with um, with the public, all those sorts of things. Um, there's less closures of the road. So whether if events, for example, might impact our operations, we would have more operable days if it was sealed. Um, there's reduced maintenance costs, obviously, not only to um, maintain the road, but reduced costs in maintaining any fleet of vehicles that we may have. Um We'd have decreased transit times, which thereby we would need less trucks. Uh, the the um, time it would take would be reduced and that all ties back into safety as well with the fatigue management and all those elements. Um, we'd have an improved supply chain for com- consumables and spare parts because not only will we have the concentrate going uh, from site to um, the port, we'll also have have product and goods coming back to site the other way um i think and that's probably that probably sums up the main elements of the benefits that we would see from that and and not only that it opens up the area for for other industries as well um, not just ours Um, so we've been working closely with the local community and the the council's main roads wa um, to work through um understanding the ceiling plans at this stage, but it would be provide great benefit if the road was completed prior to our project startup. So project startup, we're looking at 2024 at this stage. Excellent. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, excellent. Uh, Mike, would you like to... Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> look, uh, uh, thanks, Karen and, and Tanis. I think that was really a really good comment. Um, from our perspective, uh, council representatives and members, um, firstly, I'd just like to thank uh, Helen and the Outback Way for being, one, invited, and two, from our, our delegation to Canberra. I really enjoyed that, and I thought it was extremely useful, and uh, we certainly learnt a lot. 
Our interest and support for the Outback Way probably derives from our core strategies at Cube. And for those who don't know, Cube is a ASX 100 listed business. Um, we have multiple facets of supply chain uh, ranging from port to mine, mine to port. And we operate in over 44 ports around Australia and New Zealand. Um, we've got operations far reaching up into Papua New Guinea and into Southeast Asia. Um, but our main operations are here in Australia and connected from the ports all the way back into mines and fully integrated systems in between. So look, as I said, our, our core strategies at Cube come from de-bottlenecking port operations, developing consolidation hubs off port and linking these hubs with efficient transport solutions and connecting customers with their markets. Uh, this expands to remote areas of Australia where many of the richest deposits are. Uh, for traditional heavy precious minerals like copper, zinc, nickel, gold, and now the new commodities like rare earths, potash, gold concentrates, spodumene, lithium products, and then energy and renewable uh, pro projects that are making their way into central Australia. I guess all of these prized commodities will be limited by commercial realisation and opportunity. And without efficient supply chains, that connect them to their respective markets, either domestic or international. And I guess when most people think of rail and mining, they think of the Pilbara-type two-kilometre-long trains hauling 35,000 tonnes per train, millions of tonnes. This type of logistics is sort of, it's reserved for the few, like BHP, Rio Tinto, FMG and Roy Hill. Um, they contributing 540 million tonnes per annum of iron ore and exports, billions of dollars of infrastructure and investments with critical mass and incredible, you know, incredible commodity prices currently to gain immediate return on investment. The smaller miners and mid-tier miners um, and greenfield projects are a far more sophisticated model which removes fixed costs that do not affect their balance sheets and, and lending abilities. Flexibility so they can dial up and down demand to suit the markets the ability to backload material over large distances and reduce their costs. They want to leverage off infrastructure that's already developed and maintained by local, state and federal governments. The model we promote at Cube is a hub and spoke intermodal model, which transferable cargoes from road to rail and rail to road connecting to ports. The Outback Highway, I think from our point of view, the investment is pivotal to the ongoing development of these supply chains that will inevitably unlock potential projects by providing flexible overland conveying options that unlock these isolated resources. The strategy of developing a new hub, a new rail hub in the west to connect the central road and the sealing of the road from Laverton to Warburton will go a long way to support the viability of the emerging projects and in particular uh, the one that Karen alludes to, which is the Oz Minerals West Musgrave project. From the Boulia end as well, uh, through Jervis, Hearts Range, which Tanis explained before, really is a rugged piece of, piece of track um, to Alice Springs, providing similar outcome for projects to uh, like KGL Resources onto the Adelaide and Darwin Rail Hub. I guess in, in simple terms, the quality of roads for these emerging projects can mean the difference between 30 and 40% of their overall logistics costs on road 
by virtue of payload. For example, if the road remains dirt and mostly undeveloped, a traditional payload will be 80 tonne uh, per unit. And if the road is properly constructed and sealed, we may be able to achieve up to 130 tonnes per payload per unit. Not to mention any of the other side benefits, and, and I think uh, Tennis touched on before, and, and Kieran as well, road safety, um, not only for our equipment and our welfare of our staff, but to other road users as well. And uh, I guess from Cube's point of view, we see the Outback Way initiative as a critical infrastructure development that connects regional areas to markets, and Cube is in strong support of this. Thanks, Mike. That's excellent. Really good. And um, clearly, clearly improving supply chains. That's good. Um, David Elliott from Australian Age of Dinosaurs, the Executive Chairman. Thanks, David, for joining us. Um, yeah, for those who aren't familiar with the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum, we're up, um, about 25 kilometres out of Winton, and uh, and uh, it started, the museum started or opened open to the public in 2009 it's up on top of a, a jump up or these are you know just a, it's, it's not very far off the road to Longwich just out of just out of Winton um uh, we started off about 9,000 people in 2009 and uh, and I think this year we've just gone we'd probably have had about 40,000 this year so far so uh, um there's been some pretty rapid growth over the years uh, the museum is we're starting off with a um with a, um, with a, uh, you know, it's like with the first stage, we built a shed basically and rode in, and you know, and it's just slowly every year, every few years, we expand our, we expand our, um, you know, infrastructure a little bit more, and uh, it's sort of a good way to grow. It's a good way because you can always remain sustainable, and as you grow a little bit more, you build a little bit more, and and so the museum's become quite a major player in uh, in in tourism in in regional Queensland now. Um, now, the most probably I see with the Outback Way, it, it is a major. It's a major step for the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum that we've been uh, we've been following fairly closely, if not participating in. We have been following it very closely. Um, we're looking at at developing a major international tourism route through through the through this area. And, uh, and we've got several options of doing that. And one of those is connecting through with um, tourist visitation to Uluru and, uh, and, uh, and from Uluru through, through Alice and, uh, and back through here and connecting with Airlie Beach um, across on the east coast there. And the other one is, um, is the Kennedy Development Way and up through Huonan and uh, to Cairns. Now, we've actually met with people, um, I met with the Cairns Mayor and several of the major tourist developers about three years ago in Cairns. And uh, we've been looking at just some of their critical success factors of, of how they started to get to where they've got and where the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum can link into them. Now, the, the most important thing with us, obviously, is, is, uh, is connectivity in all of those areas. We now have a sealed road. I don't know if it's quite finished yet, but it must be very, very close all the way up through the Atherton Table and to Cairns. And obviously we've already got a sealed road across to um, across to Ely Beach and in that area with Sundays. So there, there's some very big connections there, but the big one missing obviously is out to Uluru to open up regional Australia and regional Queensland, um, which is where we're sort of obviously based. 
um, it opens those areas up to being able to connect to, you know, like a, we can almost like a hub from Cairns down through Winton up to and out through Uluru and, of course, connecting Western Australia, as in uh, Perth and those places as well, um, connecting through but also going across to the East Coast and uh, and down to Brisbane and even down to Victoria. So it's a major tourism route. We are, we are looking at some major expansions with the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum in the next uh, five years. Um, we've, we've pretty well finished all of our staged growth now that we're ready to build a museum. We've done the... You're looking at around probably... 70 to 80 million dollars to build it and we're looking at the museum filling a very very important role in Australia and that is to tell the story of Australia so this isn't a really about Witten's dinosaurs even though they are a major attraction they aren't the reason for the museum the museum will tell the story of evolution in Australia over four and a half billion years so we are connecting connecting all of you know all of the Australian geological history into a major exhibition that's got um, that relevant to all Australians, really, and, and also has an overseas relevance. So we will be looking at um, expanding that. Obviously, the uh, it's I think the, the outback feeling the outback way is going to do a ma- is going to be a major um, is going to be a major um, benefit. But I also think that the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum can be a major benefit towards when we are we're sealing the with with helping to get money, uh, remaining money to seal the outback way. Um, simply by, uh, I think we can. It's going to we we can add a lot of growth to regions right along the outback way and and connecting areas as well. Simply by by having a draw card to. to to bring everyday people through. So we're not talking uh, so much like uh, most of the, the people today, I suppose. Um, but this is probably more um, just everyday Australians on holidays. So there's a major, there's a major um, opportunity here. Uh, we're very happy to help in the way of, you know, in business cases and in raising funds for the museum. Anything that we can tie in with the why has got to have major benefits for that bankable feasibility study that we're doing, which we have done. We are just about to revamp it at the end of this year before we actually go fundraising. Um, and, and vice versa, I think the actual position and the growth of the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum has got is a major, uh, um, what would you like? I think it would be very beneficial for the Outback Way. Mm. Um, when we start looking for money to finish the seals, you know, so there's, it, it, you know, um, governments love partnerships and this is a very, very strong partnership. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's about, I think that's about covers. Excellent. No, thanks, David. Yeah, that's excellent. Really good. Um, absolutely. I agree in regards to the tourism growth, um, just working a lot more tightly and closely together with all the attractions and points and destinations along the entire route uh, would be very beneficial. Thanks. That's good. Um, ben, thank you and welcome. Um, thank you for coming through with um, from Hewitt Cattle Company. It's excellent to have you on board and uh, look forward to hearing your comments. Thanks. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, thanks to everyone. Uh, well, thank you for, for inviting me onto the industry panel. I mean, uh, yeah, just a little about us. We're generally uh, 
I suppose initially a very much central Queensland-based uh, cattle production business. We've made significant investments in Central Australia on the um, southern side of Hearts Range community of Atichita. Um, so our, our operations there in Central Australia at Amblingham Station, like I say, um, our closest sort of um, connection to the Plenty Highway uh, is is through Atichita on the uh, entire creek there. Um, we've got we've got about 18, 19 staff on site there. Um, I think one of the things that probably a lot of people, Tannis and, and a few of the other guys here have already covered a lot of things that probably relate to us a fair bit as well, but I think if I just start on a little bit of a, a different one, it's really the social aspect, I think. We are able to actually, if we can seal these, get these highways sealed through and combine a lot of what everyone's talked about, um, David's spoken a fair bit there about social things. I mean, some of the social things that I see that are going to be um, um, important is really for us personally as a business is our staff retention and actually being able to staff attraction, sorry, and then and then retention. Just because most people who are, are interested in, 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 in um, regional Australia aren't daunted by distance at all. The sort of really the daunting part is the difficulty of getting across those distances. So the more people we can attract to uh, work on our, um, and I'll just talk about the cattle properties in the area, I think the more people we can get to track, uh, attract to uh, work on the um, cattle properties in the area, the better the communities we're going to be able to build in those areas and then, you know, it's just a snowball effect. I think, obviously, the ceiling of the roads and, you know, people are going to be attracted by the increased um, communication that the guys have been talking about earlier on today and, obviously, uh, from all of those types of things, you know, um, it just makes all of these um, conversations about development and future future um, outcomes for the highway and along that corridor just easier as the, as the ceiling progresses. Reduces the social disadvantage in the in, in you know goes somewhat to reducing the social disadvantage in some of the communities along those highways there obviously um, with the easier access to service you know service providers and that type of thing. Back on our operations, really, I mean we um, one of the you know obviously we've, I've spoken about staff there and a few of the other guys have spoken about safety and things like that. But I mean when you got a road train driver or even staff commuting between properties in, in Queensland and back out there. But the apprehension of drivers to um, pull on the Plenty Highway um, in a six-deck road train or even, even some young guys travelling across there in, in a Land Cruiser, um, as Tannis has, has spoken about, you know, there's some, some very, fairly treacherous sections there in the Plenty, particularly between Du Bois and, uh, and Tarvamore. I mean, the excessive um, travel time for our livestock on those on those trucks, um, you know, we're talking about sort of trips of, you know, on a good day, 18 hours and can be out to sort of 24 hours to uh, till we can get those cattle a spell. This is obviously not ideal. Um, we actually, at our business, we try to operate a, as a high claims business, so we'd, make a lot, uh, we'd like to be able to adhere to a lot of the, the fact that we're a high animal welfare claim business and... And um, the way the road is at the moment, we obviously cannot use the road because of those uh, um, impediments. And if I talk about the impediments of uh, what the actual unsealed portion of the road means versus having the, particularly the Plenty Highway sealed, um, we're talking about sort of probably $73 a head on lost opportunity cost in, in shrinkage, we feel, on our fat cattle. And that's sort of data we've been able to pull together over a sort of um, recent consignments of around that 5,000 head. Um, the extra cost to our business over the last four years of uh, going up and around the, the Barclay Highway, so that's um, coming out 
out of Amberlynn and onto the Plenty back out to the Stuart and up around the Barclay. Uh, that's that's in the, in the order of $400,000 in the last couple of years. So it's extra, uh, it's quite significant impost to our business. Of the truck, like we, all of our production that we send to the east, so back into central Queensland, we'd actually ideally like to be able to use the uh, Plenty Highway corridor as our as our access, but only 20, 20% of our, of our um, 27% sorry, of our livestock movements or our cat truck movements are able to actually use the Plenty Highway. So we'd obviously benefit greatly from from a um, end-to-end sealing of particularly the Plenty Highway. But if I talk more about the um, sort of the future of the actual that whole outback way there, I mean the investment opportunities that I see for our business that we we, we uh, love doing business in the central part of Australia. I think if we can open up that uh, open up the corridor through the middle there, that's going to open it up to a lot more people. Uh, guys ahead of me today have spoken about tourists, but then you've just obviously got to speak about particularly in the cattle industry. I think there's uh, large tracts of land through central Australia there that can be used. Um, more easily, obviously, by a better road network. This also, um, I mean, I hear a lot of uh, a lot of talk, and 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 we've had some um, approaches uh, uh, by 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 people wanting to understand what what can be done to uh, drought proof or for drought relief or drought drought proof systems and and whatnot, either in Central Australia or either 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 in Queensland. Uh, generally, if we can have a road that had Obviously, lower travel times and better animal welfare outcomes. Then, you know, livestock and particularly cattle can be moved around between regions a lot more easily. That's going to go a long way, and it's going to be a pretty, pretty um, good return on our investment in terms of a drought relief um, outcome. When, when I first went to Alice Springs or, and um, to have a look at investing in Alice Springs, one of the things that really took me was the actual the fact that um, you know, whatever business you do in Alice Springs, you are literally in the centre of the country. So you've either got customers or clients probably on, on, on the four or five points of the compass, really. We've, uh, we've sent cattle down through Labyrinth, down through um, that western central desert road to uh, Labyrinth to um, be live exported out of, out of um, mm. Esperance, I think it was. Um, you know, we've had cattle going all the other highways. Um, the unique part about a, a central Australia is uh, anybody who's in business knows there that they've got a... Uh, logistical hurdle in the actual number of kilometres you've got to get across, but the actual unique part about doing business in that part of the world is you've got um, a myriad of different directions you can go. I don't think I've got a lot to add. Most people have covered covered uh, things ahead of me here today, um, but I think uh, I'd, I'd be very interested in Helen in actually um, giving you guys some support on the next uh, stage of the of the infrastructure fund. Um, Thanks, yeah, because we, we, we are actually sort of tracking our costs of doing business along that highway pretty closely. Yeah, that's excellent. No, thank you for that. That's, uh, that'll be very, very uh, valuable. So thanks. That's great. Really good. Um, I'd also just like to acknowledge that um, Curly's Transport's here. I think Tom, Tom are you online? Um, and I think I've seen Mike Bailey from Road Trains Australia. Did you want to make any comments in regards to just the, the freighting um, Route that you guys, I mean, you know, live livestock transport. Did you want to add anything? Um, yeah. So for us, um, Ben touched on a lot of the um, the dramas there that we have, like or that our clients have, and then it flows onto us. So, um, you know, one week the road will be in good condition, and then two weeks later, depending on how much traffic, it's impassable like it is now. Um, our damage to the to our um, units 
um, traveling on it. Tires are uh, a huge cost for us. We're always doing tires. Um, the worst one we had, we did a 36 um, deck job and we blew 32 tires. That was when it was at its worst. <clears throat> um, and then you get times like now where it's impassable along that um, that section near Tarleton and that where we had the truck bog the other day for um, seven hours in, in bulldust. So, um, yeah, for us it's just the, the cost and the damage to our, to our equipment. Um, and then if it was sealed, when it does get sealed, the, um, the benefits for our clients travelling, you know, for the air markets back over to the east and um, lower travel times will de- definitely help them. Right. Excellent. Very good. I'd just like to um, thank you all very much and thank you to our panellists, Tannis, Karen, Mike, David and Ben. Really appreciate it and we will be in touch. Um, thank you very much. It's been great to connect with you guys and uh, have your input and, and get a greater understanding of those really tangible day-to-day issues that uh, the gravel's causing and then also, though, what the bitumen will deliver for your businesses. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Outback Way podcast. The show notes will be on our website at outbackway.org.au. If you are enjoying our podcast, please leave us a review. And if you're really enjoying our podcast, you may like to become a contributor through our Outback Way store for $5, you can help with the production of our podcast. Please stay in touch. We'd really love to hear your stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Outback Way One. And finally, thanks to Perk Digital for producing our podcast, making your journey through the heart of Australia on Australia's longest shortcut easier. Please travel safely. The Outback Way podcast is all about your trip. We're really trying to make it easier for you and give you valuable information to make it more enjoyable. So we'd love your feedback. Send your questions, comments and travel stories to info at outbackway.org.au and if you share your story, we may even feature you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us through the heart of Australia on Australia's Longest Shortcut. Cheers for now.